Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. We're back in the studio. What's going on? <laughs> we just came back from a walk. I miss having our morning walks. I know. A little coffee walk. We haven't done a wine walk in a while. I was just thinking that. I mean, Man. You took 40 days off of drinking. <laughs> and I haven't been doing them solo. It's <laughs> 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 good. <laughs> I did take 40 days off of drinking. And it was fine while it lasted. Um, I will tell you this, though. I haven't been... Uh, I think if the 40 days did anything, it, it helped me not um, maybe crave or just it's it took me out of the habit. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, you know, I I always tell myself this, although I think maybe Jeff would argue different. I was like, I don't have a physical need for it. But I think, you know, you get into the habit of just going like, oh, end of the day, it feels good to have. And it's so I don't uh, necessarily like, okay, it's that time. Right. Yeah. But anyway, I had a little walk. Little sunshine, and uh, we're here. And um, we mentioned in the last episode about um, you know George Floyd is going. The topic is going on right now. And we mentioned some resources, and I know um, Jill kind of made a list of resources, and we wanted to share some. And again, this isn't going to be the only time we br- we bring this up or talk about this um, because it's on topic. Uh, this is definitely something important. And again, you know we've. We've had some um, discussions about bringing these things up, up more often. So I know if you want to start mm-hmm. with some of your list, and sure. we're going to go into another topic later, but we want to start this off because I know people are really asking and they want some resources, and then we will have some experts coming on soon. So Yeah, so in our last episode at the beginning, if you guys listened to it, hopefully you have. If you didn't, please listen to the first couple minutes of that episode. Um, we shared just kind of what our intentions are, and we've had a good amount of you reaching out to us on Instagram and asking what we're doing to address our own internalized race racism and to help with dismantling uh, the systemic racism. And, you know, Danny and I are taking this very seriously and it's not that we weren't before, but, you know, this has put a lot of, um, you know, just, we really want to put an emphasis on this. And so I shared last week with my email list, some of the resources that I have been reading over the last few years. Um, and just, we wanted to share them here because I know you guys are asking for them. Um, and also just to be put on notice that we are going to be talking about this more. And as we kind of have more recess resources, we will share them with you. I want to start with a couple of books and then I want to share with you guys a couple of handles on social media that you can go ahead and follow who are doing uh, really great anti-racism work. And these are people of color. So there are, you know, pe- white people who are doing this work as well. We're probably not going to bring them up quite as much just because we want you guys to go and follow the people who, you know, and amplify the voices of people who do need to be heard. Um, and so let's start with a couple of books. The first book is called Me and White Supremacy. And this is by uh, Layla F. Sad, S-A-A-D. We'll make sure we have all of these in the show notes. So don't feel like you have to write them down. Uh, I'm not going to spell out every single name. So please go and check out the show notes. We'll have them written there. 
I really love this book, especially on auto audible, um, listening to an auto audio book. And she has some really amazing exercise in there to go through. And I would encourage everyone to do that. Um, this is a great book. Just if you're confused on maybe some terms or, you know, some things that you maybe don't quite understand, this is a great book to get the lay of the land is kind of like a one-on-one. It's really, really amazing. We and white supremacy by Layla F. Sad. Um, I'm no longer talking to white people about race. This was really an interesting book and it's by, uh, Rennie. Edo Lodge, again, in the show notes, um, goes through a lot of the history, uh, black history. So if you are, you know, familiar with American history, that's not necessarily black history. So we want to make sure that you guys, um, you know, expose yourself to that material between the world and me by Ta Nehesi Coates. And we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. That was a great one as well. Um, definitely comes from like an, more of an intellectual side of things, which I thought, you know, maybe it resonates for some of you guys. And then, um, Uh, And then White Fragility, we will mention, that's by Robin D'Angelo, who's a white woman. And if you are someone who is wondering or scared that you're going to, quote, mess up or you're not sure exactly what to say or like how to, I think this is a really good starter book. Um, But again, it is written by a white woman. So just so you kind of know that. But I think if you have not read White Fragility, you definitely should. Uh, In terms of some people who I think, and as we have more resources, we'll share them with you guys. But in terms of following on social media, there's so, so many amazing accounts. Um, that are doing really great work in the anti-racism space. We want to give you guys a couple, I'll just share just in the, just for brevity, just share about eight or so, uh, at rachel.cargyle. So we'll make sure we type all these out, uh, at the great unlearn at Layla F sad at I'm Dr. T and you know, we really want to get Dr. T on. He actually lives local in Los Angeles. So we've been talking with him for the past several months about getting him on the podcast. We'll do that soon at the conscious kid at decolonizing underscore fitness at color of change and at Sean King, S H A U N K I N G. So I don't know if you have any to add to that, Danny. Yeah, no, those are so ones. again, there's a million, there's actually a lot of really amazing accounts, people of color who are doing this work and, um, who are putting a lot of emotional labor into educating white people. And so if you guys are interested in these, please go ahead and follow them. And if you have any additional, you know, people that you've been learning from and you want to share that with us, you can go ahead and DM us on, on Insta. Yep. I think that's a good list for uh, people who, of color who are working to educate about racism. And then of course we have many people of color doing coaching work, business work, all that kind of stuff. And I'll leave that as a separate list because that's just, we just want to amplify their voices. And this is just specific to this topic for those. So make sure you guys check out the show notes. Everything is written out there. Cool. So um, we are going to talk about today, um, limiting beliefs. Um, I, you know, I hear, I remember hearing this term a lot and it's kind of thrown around a lot in like the money world, money blocks and limiting beliefs and in personal development world. And I did a um, recent talk to a group about limiting beliefs and it was specific to money. Um, but I feel like it's so relevant to a whole lot of things, success, money, relationships, entrepreneurship (laughs) sounds like our intro. Um, and so I wanted to talk about limiting beliefs today. And so first kind of what is a limiting belief. And basically a limiting belief is just, it's a belief that you have that's holding you back from potentially doing something you want, something you want. And oftentimes it's an unconscious belief. Sometimes we know it, we speak it, and sometimes we really don't even know that it's there and kind of have to dig it up. But basically just by believing it, it is holding you back from getting the desired outcome you want. And so what are some examples. I'm just going to give like some really common ones. And then Jill and I are going to dig into like some of the common ones we see 
and maybe some of and we're, we also want to talk about some of the ones that we've had and still continue to have. Um, some common ones are like, I'm too old, you know, to learn something, to do something else. I'm too young. Uh, I don't have an education, so I can't get a good job. I've already tried everything. I have bad genetics. All the good guys or girls are taken. Um, whatever I do doesn't matter. I live in a small town. I'm a mom. I'm not married. I'm single. Mm. I'm too busy. Uh, I've waited too long. So these are some limiting beliefs that you can see just even in the, the sentence. And we'll dig into some of them, how those can even hold you back from what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's so many. And I was going to ask you a little bit about, you know, I think a lot of these come down to feelings of unworthiness, feelings of not good enough, feelings of scarcity, right? So anytime we're like, I don't know if there's going to be enough for me. I don't know if I'm good enough to make this work. I don't know if I have the right credentials. Everything is so saturated. Like it's, it really is a feeling of scarcity and really a feeling of not good enough. Like, okay, I'm about to try this thing what if I fail? Especially because, you know, so many of us do have things that we want to create in our lives. We want to have, you know, different successes. We want an amazing relationship. We want, um, you know, to have financial success, whatever that looks like. And a lot of times we do stop ourselves by looking around. And one of the biggest ones is what will people think? Mm -hmm. Especially if you maybe come from a more traditional background where maybe your, your family and your friends Uh, have always done more like kind of traditional, even let's just say job or professional careers. And you're like, I want to start a business. And they're like, good luck to you. And they'll say things like, well, 90% of small businesses fail. And like, and so we're kind of inundated with these storylines about how hard it is to do something bigger and you have to be exceptional, right? You have to be like a Jeff Bezos or you have to be like a Mark Zuckerberg. You have to be, you know, um, like a Bill Gates, like you need to be Elon Musk, like you need to be these, but you really don't. Yeah. I, and I think that there's so much, and one of my mantras has always been, there's more where that came from, mm-hmm. you know, and just to remind myself of not getting caught in scarcity thinking, and especially in the online space right now, it's, it, it can feel really discouraging when you see more and more people getting into the space and more and more messaging out there and you're wondering what's left for you. Yeah. And so we, you know, we can kind of break some of these down into maybe some more business type ones, more money type ones. I'm interested in some of yours. What were maybe some of your previous limiting beliefs and then maybe which ones you're still struggling with? Yeah. So if we're going to talk about mine, um, I think, you know, one of my limiting beliefs, well, gosh, I guess it depends on what areas, you know, obviously we've talked about dating and things like that. And just getting out into the dating world after being married for so long, I was like, I'm too old. Who's going to want me at 35 years old? Um, you know, I'm too old and it's too late and all the guys are taken. I mean, all of those, it's funny just reading through this list. I'm like, yep, that's been one for me. That's been one for me. I mean, I had the, I'm too young when I started coaching gymnastics. I didn't think anyone would take me seriously. And I was a really good coach. And I felt like I remember thinking I had this number in my head that at 26, people would take me seriously. I felt like under 26, people didn't think I was that experienced and I didn't know what I was talking about. And, um, one that I noticed, and I was telling you this on the walk was it didn't occur to me until later. Cause I, I worked through it, but I didn't realize what the belief was holding me back, but, um, it's making mistakes. So in entrepreneurship, we know this, like you have to try things and fail and try and fail. And when I was growing up, my mom was super st- strict with me and also had really high expectations of me. And so I had the expectation to get straight A's, straight E's, that's like your behavior score, 
And not only that, like every paper, I was expected to get 100%. If I got like a 95, she was like, why did you miss that? You know, and it wasn't like, hey, let's check out the question and see why you might have misunderstood or let's find out what the right answer is so you can understand. It was just like, get the right answer, go back to your teacher and see if you can retake it and get a better grade. Like I was, even if I got a low grade, I remember the first time I got a B, she went to the school with me. I was so embarrassed to my teacher and basically demanded that we got get the grade changed. And so for me, what that taught me subconsciously was that it wasn't okay to make mistakes and that I started to not want to do things if I didn't think I'd be good at them. Mm. And it was a curse, I think, because I, I was really good at a lot of things naturally, which thank goodness. But when I wasn't, I felt like, well, this just isn't for me. I never wanted to put in the effort to learn. I didn't want to put in the effort to try or challenge myself. So I was kind of one of those people, like, if I'm not going to win a game, if I'm not going to be good at it, I don't even want to play. Because for me, that meant something was bad about me. I was so used to being at the top, being first, um, always winning that I felt like a loser when I couldn't be that. And if I made a mistake, I didn't want to try anymore. And that is really paralyzed me later on in life. And it took me until after college to really, um, learn to love learning and challenge myself and not be about the gold star, the straight A, the A plus, the hundred percent and be about what can I learn and how can I get better? And how can I be like 1% better, 1% better versus perfect. And that, you know, stemmed into dieting, you know, wanting to eat exactly perfect. If my coach gave me something like sticking to it. And again, and I think a lot of uh, our listeners have been down this road. If they're not still that way, it's the all or nothing. I think that perfectionistic makes it where if you mess up, you're like, well, screw it. It's all over. And that's not how it really works. And so I feel like my, um, natural ability in some ways hindered me because I didn't have to try hard. And when I was expected to try hard, I didn't want to, because I felt like I was failing Mm -hmm. by having to try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's classic perfectionism. And I think you and I share that. I think there was a lot of, um, you know, we're going to raise the bar and we just expect that you're going to meet it. And so the idea, you know, I think if we did quote mess up or fail or not get a hundred percent, you take it on personally, what's wrong with me. Mm. Right. And then you kind of get really gun shy for wanting to try new things, you know, because you don't want to look stupid or you don't want to let someone down. I know for me, that was a big one was I just don't like the idea of letting people down. I think that's one of my biggest limiting beliefs is like, if I, even like when I gravitated, like I did a lot of team sports when I was younger. And then as I got older, I started doing more individual sports. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do track and field and I'm going to do, um, you know, fitness and bodybuilding and stuff like that. I always liked the idea that my success or my failure was just my own versus making myself vulnerable enough to do a team sport where like, holy shit, I could blow the game for these people. And I noticed that that was something that like, I just like the idea of it being all on me. And so one of my biggest limiting beliefs is like, definitely like I could be in a position where I let people down or people are relying on me and you know, I'm not good enough to do the things that I need to do. And that's, you know, it's a perfectionist mindset. So yeah. we, we find ourselves not doing things if we know we're not going to be great at them straight out the gate, which is so silly because when you say that out loud, you're like, 
who's good at something out of the gate. You yeah. might be as a kid, but as soon as you get into adulthood, like, sorry, you're not going to be good at everything, especially yeah. if you're trying to learn a new skill or whatever. Like I've, I've taken up beach volleyball and I even catch myself with Keith. I'll be like, Hey, why, do you want to go out and like, you know, play volleyball for a little bit, just hit it around and I'll go. But up until a point then I'm like, okay, but he'll like start correcting me and mm-hmm. start like giving me some feedback. And then I find myself like just being embarrassed and want to just not do it anymore, yep. you know? And so it's a really interesting thing and I have to catch that. And I'm like, okay, like, it's okay. He just wants to be of help, but I'm taking it personally. Like I'm not good enough. And so catching some of those things and forcing myself to keep going and putting myself in that really vulnerable position of like messing up. And I think we need to do that whatever. Dang. You know, when you brought that up about the team sports, I had a very similar thing and I kind of forgot it. It even makes me kind of cringe, but in sixth grade, we played volleyball for PE. And I remember this ball came straight to me and I was looking at it and it was like right where the sun was and I couldn't see it, completely missed it. And then everyone on my team just yelled at me. And I remember wanting to cry and like choking back tears. And I was like, I never want to do this again because I was so embarrassed that I missed it. And everyone was like on my back. And I was like, I don't want, I hated team sports. And that was probably a big reason why. And it's um, the, yeah, the pressure of everyone else. I'm like, okay, I can be responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the one who messes it up for all of you. And also, cause I wasn't good at it. Like, (laughs) um, I always joke around about ball sports. Like I'm very coordinated gymnastics wise, but when it comes to like hitting a ball or basketball, (laughs) like anything with eye hand coordination is not (laughs) my skill set. And I didn't think that you could just like practice and learn. I mean, I know you could practice and learn skills, but because the things that came easy to me didn't take that much practice, I thought those were only the things I should, you know, Mm -hmm, go down mm -hmm. and yeah, huge, huge ones. And that takes a lot of unlearning and practice. And like you can tell, like sometimes, like you said with Keith, like still comes up when you get triggered by those old like narratives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's actually good for me to see him because he loves ball sports, mm-hmm. you know? And so he's in that way, he's a lot more brave putting himself out there to like, you know, to mess up like you're, and I've seen yeah. him, like I've been at some of his games where like he missed shots and stuff like that. And so, and he, as much as like he gets down on himself, he still keeps showing up to the things, you know? So even if we're out there playing volleyball and he misses something, he'll yell at himself, yeah, you know, and be like, come on, Keith. Like, and I'm like, okay, like maybe I can, Take a little bit more feedback yeah. and have a thicker skin yeah. if it's in the name of it. And, you know, and we talk about this in business. Like, I'm sorry, if you do want to have a level of success in business, you do have to be okay with failing. Not every single launch, and you and I have talked about this, especially if you are in the the like online kind of coaching space or something, not every launch is going to be a home run. And when Danny and I were first kind of starting in the space in 2010, 2011, 2012, like because it was so new, uh, internet coaching and internet business was so new. Like we did hit grand slams, like pretty much every time it was very like predictable. It's like, Hey, you have this thing. It's the right program. You launch it like easily. Like we just experienced a lot of wins early in. So I think both of us have had to pivot multiple times over the last, I would say five years or so into like, okay, like this thing used to work. It's not anymore and not take that failure or that setback personally. Mm -hmm. And so my mantra has become, I can see this as a pain or I can see this as a puzzle. And so I always try to think like, okay, like Jill, like who are you to think everything's going to be a home run? Like, what are you fucking talking about? Of course you're going to have failures. If you're doing anything bigger or anything scary, there's going to be moments that aren't going to go well. And so racking up that sense of, um, 
even those failures and then being and seeing yourself be resilient every time you hit those. And so that's why I'm like, okay, take the emotion out of it. Just look at it as like a clinical thing to be solved puzzle versus a pain. And that's, what's going to keep me taking action despite these kind of perceived setbacks instead of like crumbling and then going back and being like, I suck at this. I shouldn't do this. I'm bad. It's like, no, you're actually really good but you got to keep going. Like you, you look at Bill Gates, like that motherfucker probably, he got many more failures than he had successes. Right. So I think we don't make space for that. Yeah. The making mistakes is, is a tricky one. If you were raised perfectionistic, uh, or if that's maybe your personality tendency or you were raised with, you know, strict parents with high expectations and you took that on, it is something to like really unlearn and take a look at. And, you know, and maybe if you're having those expectation of your, your kids, like, why are you expecting perfection when we're really just here to like learn and get better, you know? And to me now it's like, how can I just be better? Not how can I be perfect? How can I be better? And you know, it's, I was in a sport gymnastics where what's the goal? Perfect 10. It's like, you're striving for perfection. What did we get into? Fitness competitions, looking for the perfect body. I mean, it was like this, we're looking for that thing and trying for something that's impossible or, you know, vague to even really put up, you can't put a, what does perfection look like, feel like, and yet we're striving for something which leaves you so unfulfilled and always feeling unworthy and not good enough. Yeah. All right, real quick, we're going to do a little uh, sponsor shout out. And I know that sometimes we like to skip through the sponsor part or the quote commercials, but I'd love if you just listen up real quick because we like to make this fun. And you, know, you guys, these people make this listening possible for you. So, That's right. So we want to first talk about our sponsor, noissue.co. Yes. Thank you so much for to noissue.co for sponsoring this episode and noissue.co. That is not .com. It's .co, C-O. Um, and no issue, you guys, for those of you who are not familiar with their brand, they do a such a great job of creating customizable packaging for everything from families to events. They have things like, um, Uh, tissue paper and stickers and stamps and tape that you can put on packaging and bags and things like that. It's so cool. And I know y'all like hearing it. it, I feel like you have to go to the website because it's so cute. You literally literally have to go look because suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, I I have some really good ideas. And I think that it's super, super cute to just make, I don't know, like make a statement. Even just like family stuff. Like that would be so cool. Like you, you guys can upload like a picture upload like a logo and you can actually just get all of this like you have tissue paper for the rest of your life every gift you give has your family you know face on it or something (laughs) oh my gosh or your logo of your business I just had some great ideas for birthdays making things so good (laughs) oh my gosh I was getting so many ideas now or you could even if you're giving someone a gift you could upload their picture to it how cool that would be I'm like okay wait Jill's birthday's coming up your face is gonna be all over best life stickers hey you guys you might you might get some packages from us with the best life logo on it oh my gosh you're gonna start getting a random picture with our face yeah, yep. they did such a great job because this is something that I just, sometimes we just don't think of, you know, like we have just normal, I don't know about you, but every time I go to the store and I try to like 
pick out bags or something to give to someone. It just never like looks how I want it to look. It looks cheesy or it looks like, I don't know, just not really put together. And if you guys create this customizable stuff and it's super affordable, by the way, um, if you guys create the customizable stuff, it feels just so different and it adds a little extra touch, especially if you are like Danny and I and you do live events and you give swag bags, for example, this is a great way for people to remember. And they're not just like tossing these like random bags that you got at Walgreens. They're definitely like taking, you know, this into account and it's just the small touches that make such a big difference. Yep, I love it. So check it out at noissue.co. And of course, use the best life at checkout so you could get save some money. And we'll see you back in the episode. Hey, y'all, guess what? CBD for Life is back. Oof, I love this company. I'm so glad that we're partnering with them. They liked us and they were like, hey, can we do this again? And we said, yes, you can. <laughs> Dude, so, they're so awesome. You might have seen um, we they, we got a new package um, that they sent, and so Jill and I were on the Best Life stories, and we got some new bath bombs, and they have a brand new hand sanitizer, CBD hand sanitizer, which is so great because you know every time it. every time I leave the grocery store, I'm like don't want to touch anything. Uh, so now I've got that in my car and ready to just go. I know. To the store. I'm so excited. Actually, I we have a really cool bath in our new place. And I'm excited to, to use all the bath bombs because we used it in the last place and it was so awesome. Yes. And uh, it's it's one of those things, and I know you guys have questions about CBD. Like, is it like, do you get high off of it? Is it like, what is it? But this is mostly topical. There is a tincture as well that they include, but for the most part, the the it's going to feel subtle. It's going to be one of those things that like, it's great for like joint pain. It's great for like, just kind of subtly giving you a sense of calm and a sense of just like decreasing anxiety. Um, and so we definitely recommend using, especially something like the lotions, there's roll-ons that are really great. So if you are having joint stuff, like Keith is constantly using the roll-ons for the joint stuff. Um, and again, it is a subtle thing, but if you are into natural remedies, which I think most of you, a lot of you are, especially yeah. if you're here for like some health and fitness stuff, go ahead and check out tbdforlife.com. Oh, they're actually .us. Oh, .us. Yep. And use the best life at checkout yep. to get a discount. Use the best life at checkout for discount. cbdforlife.us. Love those guys. I think one of my earliest kind of limiting beliefs that I overcame, but I remember when I was really young, um, I loved to draw and I was like an artist and I remember like being like 10, 11, 12. And I think this happens to a lot of kids actually. Um, and it's funny. It's one of those like offhanded comments that at the time you don't take in, but like looking back, I think it really did impact me quite a bit. Um, I would draw all the time and I was like a loved art class and I would do all these kind of just paintings and I was really good at it. And then I, when people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I'm an artist. And I remember this one time my mom said, well, artists don't really make money. And it's like, at the time you just take it in, but you don't like see the gravity of it. And mm -hmm. not that I want to even be an artist now. So mm -hmm. it's fine. But I remember, you know, thinking that definitely translated into my career path. Yeah. I went to school for exercise science, similar to you. And then when I got out, you know, I, I remember my mom saying to me, like, are you just going to be a gym teacher? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think I've shared that on the podcast before. And it's like, maybe. And what's wrong with that even, you know, but their idea was we put you through school. We helped you pay for your schooling. We expect that you're going to be making more money than a gym teacher would be making, yeah. you know? And so I think I had a limiting belief around like, can I make money at this mm. as a personal trainer? How do I do that? And I just love fitness so much that I ended up fucking staying in it. And I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. 
even if I have to work 80 hours a week as a personal trainer, I'll make fucking six figures out of it. You know, I'll just work harder. I'll work longer hours. Um, And so I I have kind of come over that. I'm like, okay, there's plenty of money. Like there's plenty of ways I can innovate. Like it's not the old school way of like, there's only distinct careers that you can have. Like now we have all these options for different types of careers. And it's like, I feel an abundance around that. But for a while I felt scarcity around that. Yeah. I find interesting with limiting beliefs is one person's limiting belief is often like what one person thinks is holding them back is what another person can think is their advantage. So my friend Heather actually used to always say this in network marketing. She's like, one person's advantage is another person's disadvantage or your disadvantage is someone's advantage. And what I mean by that is when I was in network marketing, you would do a lot of sales. So you're looking for people to buy your product or join your business. And I would hear this a lot from some of my, the people in my business were like, well, I'm a mom and I'm so busy and I don't know people. And I was on the other side going, I don't have any kids. And I was like, man, I wish I had kids because at least I could have mommy play dates and meet people or like take them to classes. And like, I'm just picturing when I coach gymnastics, all the moms would be sitting there in the lobby talking to each other. And I was like, shoot, if I had kids, I'd be able to have meet more people. And I have a work from home job. And so I really cannot meet people. And so it was interesting because those ones who I felt had the advantage thought that I had the advantage because I didn't have kids in the distraction. And I'm like, well, you have the advantage because you have kids and the network. And so ultimately our own limiting beliefs can look like an advantage to someone else. Same thing with our, like, let's say our, our audience, I would get that. Well, you have a big audience so you can sell more. And what was interesting to me was, um, I would often post about my product on my Facebook page. And then later on, someone would message me and they're like, Hey, Danny, thank you so much for, um, talking about this product. I love it. And I look at their name and I'm like, well, they're not my customer. So they would see the product from me, but they would buy it from the friend and person they actually knew in real life. And so I was like, see, it still doesn't matter if you have a big page or not, because people are going to buy from the one they have the personal relationship with. So just because, you know, Oprah has a huge audience doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to buy it from her. I'm going to go buy from my best friend who sells the thing. So, you know, we look at people as thinking they have an advantage over us and we don't see that there's always a flip side. There's always a disadvantage to the same advantage and you can flip yours around and look at it in another way and open your mind to realizing that this might not actually be holding you back. This might actually be helping you um, move forward. I want to ask you about, and I think we both experienced this when we left our marriages, around relationship scarcity. So if there's someone listening who is, you know, and it's funny because at the time we were mid-30s, and I remember just feeling like I'm too old, I'm too unattractive. Like, I mean, again, we were working through rejection trauma too. But what if we have someone listening who's going, you know, I don't feel like there's going to be anyone, you Mm -hmm. know, especially for women, you know, we're in Los Angeles and it's very common to see men who are in their fifties or even sixties with 30 something year old women. And so then I'm going, okay, if I'm in my forties, my fifties, my sixties as a woman, who's there? Who is there? You know? And so it's like that sex in the city episode. Remember the one with Carrie and she's dating, uh, what's his name? The Russian guy. Oh yeah. 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 And Candace Bergen, who I don't know, like her, the Vogue editor comes up to her and says, my pool is too small. Why are you swimming in my pool to Carrie? And it's like, okay, so how do you, how do you, how do you overcome relationship scarcity? Well, I think, (laughs) I mean, definitely there was a lot of that. And I feel like I hear it 
you know, from women, I'm in a small town, there's no one here, everyone's married. And there's some truth to some of those things, you know, there is, you do see what you're looking for. So it comes down to, um, oh my gosh, I always forget this. What's it called? Uh, something bias where basically you, you see what you're looking for. So like if you just bought a new uh, Kia, you're going to see Kias everywhere. If you're looking for a red car, you're going to see the red car. So ultimately I think what it comes down to, if you're trying to fix these limiting beliefs is we tend to look for evidence of what we believe. So if we think all of the guys are taken or all the ones my age are taken and they're all dating young women, you're going to start seeing every single guy in that age group with a young woman. Um, but ultimately we have to try to find evidence for what we think, what we want to be true. And for me, I started to shift that where I was like, I want to start finding people, seeing people who went through something I went through and are in a thriving relationship. And actually Lynn Manning, Drew Manning, we had him on the podcast, his ex-wife, um, was in a, in a relationship with someone and she had been with him a couple of years and they were posting something about just really being in love. And I told her this later, I like saved some of their photos. Cause I was like, this was what I held on to when I was like starting to want to be in a relationship again, just to see that you can come out of some infidelity and then have a good relationship. And so ultimately I think you have to look for evidence for what you really want instead of telling yourself they're not there you know, I'm never going to find them. Everyone's taken. I mean, it's simply not true. There's 7 billion people in the world and you think somehow you're an exception to every role. It's just a little bit ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but I do really think we have to find evidence. And if that's not in your own town, then, you know, we can look online, but there's possibilities everywhere, you know, and that's the same thing with the business, the business thing. Like if you're saying, well, I'm a mom, I can't do it. Have you ever seen a successful mom? Like find someone who has six kids who are doing what you want to do and having success because someone's out there like that. And if you can find just one person, then it can be possible for you. You know, um, I also would like to add to that. And I love that because that's it. You have to find examples, you know, and I think LA is a little bit insulated, but, um, I also think, in the meantime, what do you want to be doing? Yeah. You know, and we've talked about this a little bit because we did have people write in and we've actually answered this question before, but you know, in the meantime, how are you making your, the creating the best version of you? Right. And, and not because you're like, I'm trying to be more attractive for a partner. It's more just like, I want to be the best version of me. Yeah. So if I'm sitting at home being like, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not lean enough. I'm, you know, not smart enough. I don't have anything going for me. Like I'm only going to just be reiterating those limiting beliefs to myself. And that's the energy I'm going to be showing up in the world with, right? So instead of working on why I do deserve to be in a great relationship, and if I'm not, will I be okay, right? Like doing all of the like internal work Mm -hmm. to show up in a way that is like very open, you know, and not bitter and not, you know, um, self-loathing and not like doing all these like kind of I'm bad, I'm not good. Like I think it, it, like what energy are you working to bring to the world in general? Like how, you know, how are you impacting? Like what's your, what's your job? What's your career? How are you getting out there? So I think there's a lot that we can do not to make ourselves quote more attractive to a partner, but to make ourselves more attractive to us. You know, that's at the end of the day, like I want to love who I am. I want to be proud of the things that I'm doing. And if someone else finds that amazing, that's cool. But at the end of the day, it's for me. It's like that conversation we had, I don't know, maybe six months ago or a year ago about when I was telling you, like, I just need to come up to Vegas to like feel Feel attractive. attractive. And you were like, okay, but for who? And I was like, for my fucking self. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. want to feel attractive, right? I want to like who I am at the end of the day. And that's going to be the most, quote, attractive version of you. But yeah. it really can't start with 
trying to fit into the box of what you believe you need to be in order to attract a partner. Yeah. And it comes down to the stories we tell ourselves. So in your example, it's like, are you saying, well, nobody's with me because I'm not attractive. I'm not, I'm too old. I'm not thin enough. I'm not whatever. So that's a story you're telling yourself. And is that even true? Is that the case? Maybe you just haven't even put yourself out there. You know, so many times, uh, you know, with business too, I'd have people say, well, nobody's buying for me. I'm like, well, does anybody know you're selling anything? (laughs) I mean, you can't just say no one's buying for me if no one's selling. And I, you know, I've been applying to these TEDx talks and TED talks this year. And I mean, probably over 50, close to a hundred. And, you know, I, I get these emails back saying, Hey, you weren't chosen. Hey, you weren't chosen. So I could go, well, they don't like my idea. I'm never going to speak on TEDx. Or I can just go, I wasn't chosen. I don't know the reason why. And I actually got one email and I really appreciated this. It just said, listen, due to the fact that we had, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of um, applications, you were not chosen. This doesn't reflect that your message is a bad message or that it doesn't work. Like, please don't message us back asking us why, because I'm sure they do get that. But it was just like, basically they're saying like, don't take this personal. And so I don't know what they're looking for. Same, you know, I... I've done a little bit of um, auditions and shows and things like that. And if you're an actress, actor, you know this as well. You go to an an audition and you may think you nailed it and you could have very possibly nailed it, but you have blonde hair and they need someone with brown hair. And that's very like, it can simply be just something just like that when you are in like show business. And so we can't necessarily make up the story like, gosh, I sucked. I need to take more acting classes. I should have had, you know, more preparation. It's like, you could have been amazing. You just had the wrong hair color or you just were the wrong fit for that role. So for me doing all the TEDx, I am not going to be like, well, I applied to 150 and I didn't get any. Well, it just maybe wasn't the right fit. And potentially it was a bad idea, but I don't know. So before you make assumptions as to why you're not getting what you want to, you have to go, what's the story I'm telling myself? And is that even really true? And is there something I could do about it? If there's nothing I could do about it, then you have to move on and let go versus like turning this into this story of how you suck and you're terrible and you're going to just quit at life. <laughs> so maybe, and I want to get in, I want to ask you what maybe you're currently working through and I'll share the two, but, um, for people who are listening to this, like, I think it might be maybe look at the different parts of your life and ask what your storylines are there. So what's your money, current money story, right? And what is your current you know, success story? What's your current, you know, relationship story? What's your current, um, you know, family life story? What's your, and I think, could you rewrite those? What would be the opposite of that even? Just like as a, just a mental challenge to write out what the opposite of that could be. Even if when you write it out, you don't feel a conviction of it. You're like, oh, even as you're judging it, you're like, that would never happen. I could never do that. But just as a thought experiment, write out the opposite of that belief and maybe just consider it, you know, maybe just consider it. Danny, you told me a story yesterday of, you know, someone you were working with who had this kind of dream to live in another country and like go and kind of have this, you know, and you kind of helped her see it almost as a possibility where she was kind of like, oh, this could yeah. never happen yeah. in a million years. And you kind of like broke down the numbers and was like helping her through like maybe that's possibility and like bringing that possibility to yourself. It's scary because yeah. it's so different than maybe what you've been doing, but let's just maybe start with it could be a possibility. I like that possibility thinking versus like, this is just unrealistic. One thing I've been working through recently 
and this is a little bit more like the last two years. And I feel like I've, uh, this is just a big one that came up to me was <clears throat> right after splitting from my ex, um, my, I was really struggling with my brand, my personal brand and feeling like I had this big limiting belief that since I was single and not married, I was unrelatable and that my audience, because when I, when I told my story and when I was marketing, find the money project and doing my courses, I kept telling the story about how me and my husband paid off our debt and how we did, you know, we had these dreams together. And I felt like a lot of my audience was married and they had families and they wanted to take trips. And I was like, how can I talk to them if I'm no longer married? And Mm. so it, it caused me to really even shut down where I didn't, especially during marketing the prop, uh, mm-hmm. that program, I wasn't really pushing it as hard. I felt somehow out of alignment. I was like, this story doesn't work anymore. And I just kept thinking like, I'm unrelatable. Nobody understands me. And I still am. I still have struggled with that a little bit because of my life. Like even, you know, while I was traveling and I didn't have a boyfriend yet. I'm like, I'm traveling. Um, I'm living a life that most people don't live. Um, I don't have a partner. I don't have kids. And I just felt so unrelatable that I didn't think anybody would take me seriously. And, you know, one of the things I had come to terms with was it doesn't matter if I'm relatable or not. I think people aspire to certain things and maybe they wanted to, maybe they did want to travel at some point. It doesn't mean they were going to have my kind of lifestyle. And that I also had lessons that I could share that were outside of me being relatable. That was a big one. And it's still a little bit of one, not as much anymore. But that was a huge, huge one for the last couple of years. Yeah. Just feeling like I'm not relatable. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I had a little bit of that as well. I think the one, my one big one, and I've <laughs> been talking about this for a couple of years, so I need to really figure this out, is, you know, um, I was at a Brendan Bouchard event. I think you were with me. This is like several years ago. And he was talking about um, how one of the biggest barriers for success for greater success is a level of success. So when I was personal training 70, 80 hours a week at the gym, that was like to the point that it was so miserable that I was like, I will fucking do anything to get out of this. I will work my ass off. I'll grind. I will figure it out. I'll, you know, sleep five hours a night. Like I will do whatever it takes to not be doing this. And as much as I love personal training and I, you know, and I, I loved helping people, just the lifestyle was a grind. And I just got so exhausted and I hated waking up at four in the morning every day and getting home from the gym at nine o'clock at night. And so I was willing to do the like super hard thing to get out of that situation. And so I did have a level of success after that. And what I have found is that when I look at going from a multiple six-figure business to potentially a seven-figure business or multiple seven-figure business, my limiting belief is I'm going to have to work fucking so much harder and also be super inconvenienced and also, um, lose my autonomy. And also it's going to be, take all my time away from me. Cause I've created, and you have too, like I've, I've always chosen lifestyle over money. Money has come as a result of that, but I have always made decisions at least in this, like these last 10 years on choosing time over money and autonomy is a huge, like autonomy, probably number one need for me. So the idea that, okay, if I want to get to the next level of success, financial success, I'm going to have to take on a big team and they're going to be relying on me for shit. And we have to have a team meeting every fucking morning. And I hate having shit on my calendar. And like, it's now I'm going to be hooked in and I got to, I'm responsible for these people's welfare and like all that kind of stuff. I do have some people that work for me, but it's very like they're self-sufficient as fuck. Right. But now all of a sudden, so I think for me, my biggest limiting belief is having, being too responsible for Mm -hmm. other people's, again, it comes down to like even playing sports, right? Coming down to 
um, having too much responsibility for other people's experiences and also infringing on my level of autonomy and my lifestyle that I've created that I love. And so I don't, and I, so for me, the challenge is figuring out and like you said, looking for examples of people who are able to maintain the lifestyle that, that we have and also get to the next level of financial success. It's a huge one for me too. I mean, that's exactly one that I've struggled with as well. And also because, and like talking about finding examples or, um, talking about finding evidence is that, you know, multiple times where I've gone, okay, if I'm going to be able to do this, I need to hire out. And then I hire it out and it turns into a disaster. And I'm like, I should have just done it myself. I knew it. I wasted money and I wasted time and now I lost money and time. And so I'll just do it myself. And there's so many things in my business that I shouldn't be doing like tech, as we all know, (laughs) my tech demons. And, and because I I have so many times hired out and had a bad experience, it keeps me from doing it. And I'm like, okay, see, this is why I have to do it all myself. Yep, can't delegate. And like, yeah. And then you become, and I totally get this. Cause I remember working, uh, helping a guy in a company and I would like from the outside, I'm like, he is the cog in the wheel of his own business. Like he gets in the way. If he could just let people like me trying, who's trying to help him do my job without micromanaging and let someone else. So I don't like being micromanaged. So I don't want to be a micromanager. And yet, but yet I don't trust yeah, 100% that totally. they're going to do a good job. Exactly. And you know what? And I, I totally resonate with that because that's me too. And I think if you are an entrepreneur, like you probably go, wow, I've gotten to this level of success on my own. Oh, my if own. you're a solopreneur and so you're like giving up the reins to do anything feels really risky. And at the end of the day, like, you know, I have um, Sarah who works for me full time as my um, VA and she does all my customer service emails. And like, especially when we're launching, there's a lot of emails that come in and I'm like looking at it more. And there's sometimes where she doesn't respond the way that I would respond mm-hmm. cause she's just never going to like, it's not her baby. Right. Yep. But she's, but she gets 80% of the way there, yep. you know, it's like, and so if, but if it, it comes up a lot, then I'll, I'll like step in and be like, Hey, so just so you know, we want to make sure we go overboard with this. We have to really be on it. Like, you know, and she's willing to take coaching and she's amazing, yep. but like, she's always going to be like 80 to 90% of what I would do, yep. you know? So it's just, you have to let that be okay Yeah, and decide. It is. It's the, I, and I can understand some of that. I'm like, yep, I know it's not going to be me. I think it's like some of that tech stuff where it's been complete disaster. And then I'm like, nope. Okay. That was, and again, I know that it's a limit. And I'm like, what I do know is that I need to just find someone else. But then you, then I go down the road of, it takes so much time. It takes just as much time to find the person if I just do it myself already. And so that's, again, it's stopping me from growing because then like once you find the person going forward, they can just step into that role. And I think as well, because I've had some really great assistants and then lost them to other jobs or something else. So then I'm like, I got to start from scratch. So I might as well just keep it all here, you know, keep it all here. I'll figure it out. I'll find someone, um, small. It's also a different, it's also a different skill set. Like now you got to be a manager. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, I have a huge, just resistance to being a manager, you know, now all of a sudden, like when people talk about like, you have to have a culture and you're, and I'm like, fuck, I don't want to have to have like a corporate culture. I don't want to have to like figure that out and do like team, you know, retreats and shit like that. And so it's like, okay, I should just, we should just double down on what we're good at and then try to find someone who can manage a team. Mm -hmm. Cause that's not going to be me, you know, and I'm resistant to it. And I don't want to do that. And that's not where my best skill set lies. I'm a content creator, yep. right? I'm a coach. Like such a big one. Yeah. It's like literally making my brain think right now. I'm like saying this out loud. I'm like, yeah, I need to be better. 
you need to be better. <laughs> but it is a big one. It's a big limiting belief Huge. and it's a big one that's it's like, common, I think, in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Doing things yourself, getting Especially it. recovering perfectionist juice. Right. And uh, you know what's as funny? Back to the school examples as well. Group projects, freaking hated <laughs> because I was expected to get a straight A and I was like, you motherfuckers, you're used to getting C's. This is not like, <laughs> this is not my life. We are doing, like I would take every part of the group project. Like we delegate, okay, you do this, you do this. And I'm like, fuck, nope, I got to do it all. And I, I hated group projects because I felt like I would take it all on, which I chose, but because I did not want to leave my grade up to chance to anyone else messing it up. And this is, you know, how it, how it comes down to business as well. Sometimes it's like, you got to take, you got to go, all right, do I want this to grow and have some mistakes made or do I just want to keep it stuck in this level? And again, you're like, Brendan's thing is the greatest enemy to success is success. And, you know, there's been times where I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then I see people quote, like passing me and I'm just like, I don't know. Like, do I want that? Am I just too tired? Or like, if I do want it, am I willing to do that work? Right. And so sometimes I'm just like, eh, Maybe not, which I, you know, sometimes I look back at my old self and I'm like, I was so much more driven and so much more um, excited. And I'm like, am I jaded about maybe? <laughs> well, you know, I also, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to this who maybe does get caught up in the comparison trap, I don't really anymore, but I remember I did early on. But, you know, one of the things that really helped me to overcome that was looking at someone's lifestyle and going, okay, but would I actually want that? You mm-hmm. know, so when I look at friends of ours who do have these, you know, multiple seven-figure, eight-figure, you know, online businesses, and I look at the things that they're having to do and that they probably like doing, to be honest, I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to do that, actually. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to go off the radar for a couple of weeks. I want to be able to like spend time with Keith when he's off work. I want to be able to travel and not have to constantly be checking in with people. I don't want to be responsible for a company culture. And I think it's okay to say that. I think some, I think you and I probably, I think I did feel shame at times. Like, why wouldn't I want that? Why don't I want to do that? Am I just lazy? Yeah. And it's like, no, I think it's a discernment issue. I, I think one limiting belief that I still have, and um, I think I really shared this and kind of remind me because we're in Jill's new place too. And I feel like maybe you've kind of broken through one of these recently as well is I think I've been afraid to want something bigger or better just because I've lost so much before that I'm mm. like, I just don't want to lose it again. So I'll just be comfortable with what I have because I'm just so tired of rebuilding. I feel like I've rebuilt so many times and, um, you know, like Jeff and I have been talking about getting a place and like, even in the back of my mind, I'm just like, well, let's just get a place that's like super cheap because I don't want to have something that we like we're affording and then suddenly we can't afford it or something changes or, you know, like I've, and you guys know some of my story of like, we had a house, we had the cars, we had all this stuff and then we lose it all. And so even like, I'm like, do I even want to get a car? Because what if I just can't have it? And like, I don't need one right now, but it's like, there's literally parts of me that I'm like, if I just don't want something, then I don't have to be sad about losing it. And that's kind of like a um, defense mechanism. I was going to say, like, I definitely did that with relationships mm-hmm. after getting out of the marriage. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would only date people who I, that felt disposable, sure. like in a way, you yeah. know? And yeah. I remember even with Keith, like, get I felt really scared to like start to like, when I found myself like kind of starting to fall in love, I was like, oh shit, like fucking stakes are higher now. Yeah. Like is this person isn't disposable to me anymore. Like there's real, yeah. there's really something to lose here. And I think that for most people after they've been through something like you've been through with your home mm-hmm. and obviously in the relationship, 
fuck, yeah, you, we have to call ourselves on that. Like, mm-hmm. why don't we think we deserve something worth losing again? Yep, yep. Ooh. It is a defense mechanism. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, just like thinking about, I'm like, yeah, I got to work on something. I got to work on that. <laughs> well, the we're funny, doing, we're you doing know, processing <laughs> in real time. I know, we're processing in real time. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, is like, I know I've started over, I can do it again. I've started over, I can do it again. But it's like, I don't want to. No, so want to. you know you could do it. I mean that's the thing. It's yeah. like we'd all be fine. Yeah. Which is different than before. Like when I was married, if someone was like, you know, you're gonna lose this house, you're gonna lose your husband, this is gonna happen, I would have been like, I wouldn't have had any mm-hmm. I would have been like, I I'm done. I don't know, have any tools, I don't understand. Now I'm yeah. like, Okay, I got it, but yeah. it won't be pleasant. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I like this I mean, limiting beliefs, they go deep, man. Way deep. They're uh some from childhood, some from relationships some from just conditioning I think all of this is really conditioning yeah if you guys just again write down those kind of limiting beliefs um in terms of just you know writing writing them down and then just as a thought experiment turn them around write the opposite of what it could be even if it scares the fuck out of you just keep it somewhere put it in your you know put it in your purse put it on your fridge put it like attach it to a post-it on your bathroom mirror like do something just to expose yourself to the alternative and i have to maybe we'll come up with some affirmations some mantras yep i got it love it (laughs) all right right, y'all we'll see you soon bye